being a digital nomad, I would say one of the greatest things is, you know, being able to experience a different area. You, you meet new people and it's, it's very easy to work as long as you have a good Wi-Fi connection and some monitors. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will teach you how to build wealth with real estate without buying yourself another job. I'm your host, Taylor Lote, and today our guest is Basit Siddiqui. Basit is a digital nomad, a real estate investor, and an accountant. Today we learn about how he got started, how he put himself in the position to become a digital nomad through starting his own business and through real estate investing. We dig further into how in the world does a digital nomad invest in real estate? How do you find properties? How do you manage the deals? And what is his approach for successfully building wealth and cash flow from a distance? Heck, sometimes, most of the time, from other countries. Pretty incredible. We get into how he selected the markets that he invests in, what his life looked like before he needed to get away and create a digital nomad lifestyle and so much more. If you're somebody out there that is dreaming of being a digital nomad, just know that it is possible. And today we have an awesome case study for you. Once again, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor. I focus on multifamily and self-storage investing. If you'd like to learn more about potentially investing with us in the future, just go to investwithtaylor.com or click the link in the show notes. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Now, let's get with Bossit. Bossit, thanks for joining us today. I'm excited to learn about your lifestyle of being a digital nomad while being an accountant and a real estate investor. Pretty impressive stuff. For our listeners out there, could you tell us about what you're up to today? And then we'll also talk about how you got started, how you got frustrated with the corporate world. Sure. First of all, thank you, Taylor, for, for inviting me to your podcast, hopefully our guests can, can learn a little bit of something today. So a little bit about me. I'm a CPA. I worked the corporate grind for about 10 years. I worked at, you know, the medium-sized public accounting firms. I worked at the big four. The hours could be very gruesome, you know, working busy seasons for these firms. It could be during tax season. It could be working from 9 a.m. to like all the way to 9 p.m. So it was very difficult. I felt like I had to find a way to kind of escape this. So Somewhere in around 2017, 2018, I decided that I needed a way to kind of like get out of this kind of like rat race, as you call it. I started investing into real estate. I got my first property in 2017. I got my second property in 2018. And I kind of realized that I, as I was kind of putting all this time in, you know, this this corporate grind, I, I didn't have enough time for myself. I didn't travel as much as I had liked. So I kind of decided, you know, I have a couple of rental properties. I'm going to transition from working full-time to part-time. I eventually started my own firm like around that same time in 2018. And I become a digital nomad. I would say, you know, during the start of the pandemic, I had more properties at that time. So I was able to kind of have some type of cushion from the cash flow from my rental properties. I also had some clients, you know, from my accounting practice, which helped me, you know, kind of live a comfortable lifestyle as a digital nomad. So for the past, I would say maybe two years, I lived in several countries such as Colombia, Mexico, Spain, Italy, Poland, and just to name a few. Wow. So that is awesome. Big thing to achieve. And accounting in particular, from my personal observations, can be a really difficult career with those incredibly demanding hours. And from my perspective, kind of dull work that you have to do. But so you got out 
and you were investing in real estate, what did your portfolio get up to between your investments in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and then also down in Jacksonville? Right. So I'm investing in two, two different markets. Uh, the first market that I started investing in was Allentown, Pennsylvania. And the reason that I started investing in Allentown, Pennsylvania is I live in a very high expense, high cost of living market. I live in New York City. You know, as many people know, it's, it's very difficult to gather the capital to put as a down payment on a property in New York City. So I had to find a location that was very close by to New York, to New York City where I felt like I needed, I could invest in. So I found Allentown, Pennsylvania. It's about a two hour drive from New York City. I found that the price points for the properties there were in the ballpark that I was kind of looking for. I was able to get a couple of houses in 2017, 2018 for about, you know, 55,000. If we're talking about down payment, you know, where 20% of that is, you know, roughly 14, 15,000 or so. And the interesting thing was for the first house that I bought, I actually took out a 401k loan and it funded the full, full first investment. So I was pretty ecstatic about that. Wow. So that's an interesting way to get started, but you capped out in Allentown. Why did you decide to stop focusing on Allentown and move somewhere else eventually down to Florida? Gotcha. Yeah, I did have some issues. First and foremost, I, I do think Allentown is a great market to invest in. There's a couple of properties that I, like I mentioned, we bought for 50000 $50, I think they're worth a lot more at this current moment. I know a couple of other investors who invested in the same market, and they've also told me success stories as well. So I think from, from that standpoint, I'm, I'm very happy that I got into that market. I would say there are some negatives about investing in that market. There is very hard to get some work done during some parts of the year. For example, you know, it's a little bit colder in the Northeast. So roofers are, I guess, unable to work during some parts of the year. So I found it that it was difficult to get a couple of roofs replaced during maybe, I don't know, like October all the way to April. So that was one window. I also found that Another potential negative is that maybe the houses in that market are a little bit on the older side. So the two houses that I have in that market, one of them was built in 1890, much older than I am. Uh, and the other one is uh, built in 1907. So I was kind of looking for a couple of different markets to invest in. And one market that I found to be very interesting was, was Jacksonville, Jacksonville, Florida. And if I could backtrack a little bit and kind of tell you why. I invested in another reason that I invested in Allentown outside of it just being very close to, to New York City was I was trying to find a reason to invest in, in Allentown. And I wanted to find also value for, for what I was investing in. I looked at different markets within nearby that were close to New York City, you know, such as Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, Boston, DC. I just felt that when you're looking at properties within those cities, they're a little bit more costly. And I think the reason for that is that you're investing in a, na in a name brand city. So it's not just you looking for an investment property, but it's also other people who are looking for a personal residence to live in because those markets are very in high demand. So I think you could find value. I think you could find a quality investment in what I would call as, I guess, a non-name brand city. So when I think about Allentown, there's a couple of other cities within Pennsylvania that I think about before Allentown, such as Philadelphia, Pittsburgh stuff like that. So I was kind of looking for something very similar to that kind of rationale in my next investment purchase. So when I was looking at cities within Florida, because, you know, people were talking about Florida, you know, it's the you know, next investment place to kind of be in. So which city within Florida should I invest in? Should I invest in Miami? Should I invest in Orlando? Should I invest in Tampa, Fort Lauderdale and stuff like that? I just felt like the best properties that I was kind of finding value in was in Jacksonville. And I kind of thought that it kind of had a very similar investment theory 
from my investments in Allentown. So when I think about Florida, I think about all those other cities before Jacksonville, even though Jacksonville is a, the city with the largest population. And I think it has a you know very strong you know population growth, job growth, and stuff like that. So that's the reason I picked that market. Yeah, that's a really interesting metric and an interesting thing to think about because in the case of Florida, Jacksonville, I'm sure it's a nice place, but it's not one of your major vacation destinations. Miami, Orlando, Tampa, they're going to come up much more often. Probably even Tallahassee if you're starting to talk about you know panhandle type of vacations. Jacksonville is going to be fairly low on the list, but it is a larger, more robust city. So now I'd like to get into a bit of what it's like to be a digital nomad and a real estate investor. And we'll start by pointing out that you started your real estate investing venture looking at a market that you could get to reasonably quickly, Allentown, two-hour drive from New York City, where you were living at the time. But today, that's kind of been flipped on its head, of course, right? You don't live within two hours of Florida. You might even be in a different hemisphere from Florida. So how do you handle the day-to-day, the you know management of your property manager? Like, What are you doing to run your deals when you're out being a digital nomad? All right. And that's a good question. So I think when I got into my first investment, you know, I just felt like one of the things I did was I self-managed my first property. And I quickly realized that you're spending a lot of time doing that. So if there was some type of issue, you know, I took the two-hour bus to go there. You know, maybe I would rent a car or whatever the case is, but I would still spend two, three hours. And then I also, when I would go there, the other thing is I didn't necessarily know what needed to be fixed or how it needed to be fixed. I would just call a contractor at that given point. But I would kind of realize like, I could have spent those six hours, seven hours doing something else that might have been providing me a higher hourly rate of a task. So I could quickly realized that I needed to find a quality property management company to kind of manage the properties. And I think one of my highest skills and I, is to find the property, is to be able to negotiate for the, for the price once it kind of, once that's completed. And, you know, I think it's best to kind of hand it off to a property management company. I think one of the greatest expenses that you could do is, you know, to pay a property management company for their fees. And the other thing is that whatever fees that you pay them would be tax deductible, but, you know, obviously, you know, consult your CPA and stuff like that. So, so yeah, I think me being, it's all about time management. So if you, whatever you decide to do as you invest in real estate, I think you have to kind of acknowledge how many hours that you're going to be spending on real estate and, you know, try to make sure your, your investments are, are quality and your property management company is quality and also find the best quality property management company to manage your property. So. While regardless of what time zone I'm in, uh, I kind of rely on my property management company to, to manage my properties. And I also think that you should be very slow to hire and quick to fire. So if you do find it that you have a property management company that is not performing to your expectations, you, know, you have to do what you have to do and cut the strings. I actually had to do that twice. So, so yeah. Interesting. So walk us through that process of when you're, you're being quick to, quick to fire the wrong property manager, but then you're also creating another set of problems for yourself because now you need to find a replacement property manager, hopefully a better one, but still you need to go do that. So how have you handled that process of firing them and then finding the next one? Gotcha. So I I think the best thing is to kind of transition from one property management company to another simultaneously because you don't want to go into a situation where you're telling your tenant, 
hey, I'm going to be collecting your, your rent checks for the next month. I'll, if you have any issues, you know, reach out to me or, or whatever the case is. So I think you want to be able to find the next property management company, kind of tell them, okay, hey, here's the manager, here's the properties that you're going to manage. And that way they could take care of the process of, you know, communicating with the tenants and kind of letting them know what the future rules are and, and stuff like that. Okay. So you have your replacement property manager before you go to the current soon to be former property manager and tell them they're fired. You have the new guy you're, you're ready to hire and put in place. As far as finding that new property manager, I'm sure it's not a perfect process, right? You said you've had to do that twice. That's, that's understandable, but how have you approached finding that new replacement property manager, understanding their capabilities, maybe getting references? What's your process there? Yeah, I think the, I think the best thing is to get some type of references and to see how actively involved they are. So you want to see that they have like some type of social media presence. You want to see that they have, you know, quality reviews on various platforms like Yelp, Google, and stuff like that. I also try to see the quality of their reviews as well. So I see, you know, a lot of companies on Google, they have like maybe so many reviews and like 4.9 stars and stuff like that. But I try to see the amount of the reviews that each person has left. So if there's like a bunch of like one-star reviews, I almost kind of disregard that company and stuff like that. But yeah, I've also visit, you know, some message boards on Facebook that are directly related for investors within a specific market. So, you know, I'll see which property management companies are, are active. I'll reach out to the people that are most active within a specific market and I'll kind of reach out to them directly and say, hey, you know, my name is Bossett. You know, I'm an investor in Jacksonville. I have X amount of properties. Can you tell me who you're using as a property management company within Jacksonville? Okay. Interesting. That's a great way to approach it. Now, let's talk about acquisitions and finding new deals when you're not based in that market. Heck, maybe you're overseas in another country. How have you handled finding those new deals? You mentioned that that's kind of your favorite part of the process is finding and negotiating new acquisitions. So how have you handled that process of finding new deals? Sure. So I, I feel like I have a nice, interesting style to this. So I kind of reach out to the seller agent directly to look for deals. I mostly, I would say most of my deals are found through the MLS. So what I'll go through is since I'm not using an agent to, to acquire the deals, I'll kind of go on Zillow. I'll kind of find a, a property that I have some type of interest in. That listing will normally tell me who the seller agent is. And I could usually find their email address, you know, through like a Google search or, or something like that. I think I type in their name and then, you know, agent, and then there'll be like some type of website that'll provide me their email address. I'll send them an email and it'll have like a nice format already set up in place where it kind of says like, hey, you know, are you the seller agent of this address? Here's my offer. Here are the terms. So that's all kind of like pre-populated. The only thing I really have to change in that email is the amount and the address. And then I kind of send it in within the email. There is my proof of funds and I also attach my references within that area. So it kind of shows me or shows the, the seller agent that I have some type of credentials within the area. And usually they are very kind and do respond, but if they don't respond by that email, I might give them a, a phone call within a couple of days. And that's how I've been finding most of my deals. Interesting. Okay. So I, I tried to kind of like throw like a nice, nice price within the email. That's, uh, will make it a good investment for, for myself. How about the due diligence side of things and, you know, getting a look at the property or having somebody go look at the property? How have you approached that? Sure. So one thing I feel that seller agents and sellers do appreciate is that they don't want the property to be tied up for a very long time. So what I do tell the seller agent is that I just need five days to, to do a home inspection on the property. So I do have very good 
connections within the markets that I do invest in. So I could just reach out to my home inspector the next day and then they'll give me a report within two days. So I could kind of let the, you know, the agent know whether I want to move forward. But I would say for the most part, I kind of do move forward so long as, you know, the property doesn't have like water damage, fire damage or foundation issues. Okay, cool. Now I'd like to transition and talk a little bit more about your digital nomad lifestyle. What it's been like living out of a suitcase, a very large suitcase, I'm sure, and how long you're staying in different places. Tell us about the the positive change in your life that's come about by not having to go into the office nine to nine, Sunday through Saturday. Gotcha. So I would say I, I never really got to travel before maybe two and a half, three years ago. I mean, I would say two and a half years ago, two and a half years ago is when I kind of gave up my lease in my New York City apartment and, and kind of started being a digital nomad. I feel like traveling does open up your eyes. If you get to see other people, cultures from other areas, um, I think it just educates you a little bit more. So I would say in regards to the suitcase that I do carry, you know, I, I am a very busy person. I still have my accounting practice. What I do bring in my laptop is two 27-inch monitors. I kind of package them in between bubble wrap and some clothing so they, they don't break and, and stuff like that as I travel. Just because I guess, you know, when you have put a suitcase in a airline, you, you just don't know what you're going to get once you open the bag. So luckily, you know, my, my window, my monitors are good. I usually do have to select a higher end hotel just because, you know, I want more security. I want high end Wi-Fi connection. I want a, a nice desk for me to work at. I would say having a desk at the hotel is just very important. Yeah. And then usually I would say being a digital nomad, I would say one of the greatest things is, you know, being able to experience a different area. You, you meet new people and but yeah, it's, it's very easy to work as long as you have a good Wi-Fi connection and some monitors. How long do you typically stay in one place? Uh, one of the larger expenses I would say I would have is the travel flights. So I do try to stay within a city for at least two weeks, you know, just to make the, the flights kind of worth it and, and stuff like that. And it's also, I would say, one of the, the more tiring things potentially, even though it sounds amazing, I would say is having to pack up and go somewhere else and change hotels. It could be very tiring very quickly. But yeah, I try to stay for, for about two weeks. Interesting. So what's been the biggest like lesson that you've learned by living this lifestyle? You know, I imagine there's a pretty big takeaway from being somewhere new every two weeks to every couple of months, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that's a good question. What is my greatest? What have I learned? I would say don't listen to what you kind of hear on the news, you know, a lot of, there may be kind of like news that certain areas are, are dangerous and, you know, not safe to go to, but I think you could find nice people all around the world. I love that. Well, I'm glad that, you know, I'm, and I'm very inspired that you set this goal and achieved it and it's been working out for you. I think digital nomad lifestyle was very popular in the early 20 teens, I would say, mostly ca caused, I think, by Tim Ferriss. And I'm glad to see that there are still folks doing digital nomad work and, and investing today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, boss, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. Great. First one, what is your number one book recommendation? This is going to sound corny, but uh, I think it's reached that point. Yeah, I think that book, it, it just gave me the motivation to kind of get started in investing into real estate. It's kind of like the first book that I read. I would say kind of looking back now, I mean, I don't know if they give you like the exact 
okay, here are the the things that you need to do. You know, if you take action on step one, two, and three, you know, you can become successful. But I, th- I think it gives you the mindset to do it. And once you have the mindset, you can do whatever you want. I love that. The mindset is very powerful. If it was a step-by-step process, it might stop working over time. But if it's a mindset, we all are going to have minds for the rest of our lives. So if we get our minds in the right place, we can achieve the things that we want to achieve. Question number two, who or what inspires you? I mean, that is a good question. Who inspires me? I would say my sister inspires me. Yeah, I think my sister, She she's a very strong woman. She's a little bit younger than me. And you, you won't be able to notice it, but she has a very strong mind. You know, while I do, being a digital nomad, somebody has to take care of my parents and stuff like that. So she is there to help my parents. My parents are a little bit on the older side. You know, they're, maybe I shouldn't say that, but you know, they're in their sixties <laughs> and stuff like that. So, you know, they do need assistance. They do need help. English is not their first language. Even though their English is pretty good they're, They've been in the States for a very long time, but my sister is there all the time. And she's, a, she's actually right now in medical school. So she did put off a couple of years, you know, just to help my parents out. And she, she's always there for me to, you know, just in case I, I need some help and stuff like that. So it'll be my sister. I love that. Question number three, think about yourself at 80 years old. What advice would 80-year-old you have to give to yourself of today? That's a very good question. And the interesting thing is I feel like as we kind of get, you know, progress in our life, I always feel like we're, we're learning new skill sets. We're learning new we're having, we're getting new knowledge. So I'm very curious as to how my 80 year old self would be. I feel like right now I'm much smarter than what I was five years ago, three years ago, stuff like that. So I would have to imagine my 80 year old self will be, be very wise and very interesting having a conversation with him. You might not know yet what you then will know at that point, I suppose. Mm-hmm. That's the best way to word that. Bassett, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge, your fascinating lifestyle and how you achieved it. If folks want to get in touch, where can they find you? I would say they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, it'll be, you know, be my name, Basit Siddiqui. You can also find me on my website, basitsiddiqui.com. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today to everybody out there. Thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every weekday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one.